Good evening. I hope you had a wonderful day today. We had a great day of fellowship and fun. And I want to ask you through all that, did you think about Jesus today? Did He cross your mind? You know, He thought about you today. He loves you and He thinks about you. He cares about you. He listens to you. I hope that today you thought about Jesus. I hope that today you considered the one who gave His all for you so that you might have salvation and be in heaven with your Father someday. What I want to talk about tonight is the transforming power of the gospel. And as we get started, I want to ask you to imagine that you're not at church tonight, that you decided to go to a movie tonight. And you get to the movie, and this movie theater is packed. I mean, every seat is taken. And I don't know where you like to sit at the movies. We like to sit about two-thirds of the way back or right in the middle, you know, where we're up kind of straight with this. Wherever it is, you may like to sit on the very front row and do this. I don't know. But wherever it is you like to sit, you get that seat. You are in the perfect seat. And you're sitting there, and as you start looking around, your family's with you, and you start noticing it's not just your immediate family, but all your cousins and aunts and uncles and people, people you're related to you hadn't seen in ages are all at the movies tonight. But it's not just them. As you continue to look over the crowd, everyone on your block where you live or you're in, a, in your apartment complex, people you see out at the trash can or whatever, they're all there. And not only that, but... Some of your friends from school, people you hadn't seen in ages, are there. And even some of your enemies, I mean, people that don't like you. And as you get to noticing and looking around, you realize you know every person here. I want to imagine, want you to imagine that's where you are right now. You know every person here. And not only are every seat filled, but there are people standing along the walls and in the aisles, sitting in the aisles and, and at the back looking in through the glass to see this movie. I mean, it is a popular movie. It's the most popular movie in the world right now. You know what movie is going to show tonight? This is going to be the premier showing of your life. Here in just a few minutes, we are going to put up on this screen in front of all the people you go to church with, all the people you know, everything you have ever done in your life. We're going to show everyone. What do you think about that? Does that make you go, yeah? Probably not if you're honest. But we're going to do better than that. We're going to put 50,000 watts of Dolby THX stereo behind every word you ever said. We're going to boost it up loud so everyone here can hear everything you ever said to them or about them or just to yourself as you were grumbling under your breath as you walked away. Now, does that make you feel better? 
Uh, we're going to do even better than that. Because here in just a few minutes, up on this screen is going to be everything you ever thought. All the imaginations in your heart. Everything you imagined. Everything you desired. Every intention that you lied about and said, no, I didn't mean that. We're going to put all of that from your heart up on this screen for everyone to see, everyone to hear, and everyone to know. Now, let me ask you a question with that in mind. When this movie is over, will you stand up front and take a bow? Honestly, I'm out before the credits start rolling, okay? I'm just telling you, I ain't hanging around. Because being honest and being real, we've all got skeletons in the closet, don't we? Okay? Everyone, if you knew everything there was to know about you, you would not have me preaching here tonight. I'm just telling you the truth. And if I knew everything there was to know about you, we wouldn't let you in tonight. Because we've all got ugly skeletons in our closet. You might go, I don't like that thought. I don't like to think about that. I, I just, yeah, let's move on to something else. I'm glad there's no movie like that, aren't you? Aren't you glad? Oh, don't speak too quickly. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. This is in Luke chapter 8 and verse 17. And according to Jesus here, nothing is secret. There are no secrets. Someday, the things that you were thinking about when I was walking you through that little exercise, someday... Your spouse is going to know about those things. Someday, the elders are going to know about that stuff. Someday, your kids and your parents are going to know. Because the Bible tells us that in the final day, Jesus has a book. And He's going to read from that book, and we will all be judged by the things that are written in that book. And those are the deeds, the works that we have done in our life. So, the sad reality is, although we're going, whoo, I'm not at that movie tonight, someday that movie will be shown, and someday when that movie is shown, it will be shown not just to the people here, not just to your family and friends, but to everyone who's ever lived. All the things that you have ever thought, said, or done. Now, with that in mind, you understand why I'm talking about what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about our relationship with God. You see, the Bible tells us that we are separated from God by our sins. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. You have been separated from God by sin. The things that you thought about that you don't want people to know, you feel that way because you know those things are wrong. You know those things are sinful. And you've been separated from God by sin. 
That's what sin does. It puts a distance between us and God so that God will not hear us. God will not accept us that way because we're stained with sin and we're horrible in His eyes. God hates sin. He despises sin. And heaven is this perfect place ruled by a perfect being with angels that perfectly worship Him. He is not going to let sin come in and corrupt that place. So we're separated from God by the sins that we commit. And this truth is taught all through Scripture. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. What that means specifically is that thing you were ashamed of. God says the wages of that is death. The penalty for that is to die. And this death is not like being hung on a cross. This death is not like facing a firing squad or sitting in the electric chair. This death is the death that's called the second death. It's the death that is called the lake of fire. It's the death that's eternal. And we call being in that second death, we call that hell. Because that's a Bible term for it. That's the consequence or the price of sin. Sin that we're all guilty of. But you see, the good news for you and I is that God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loves us. He, he loves people. He loves humanity. All of humanity. And He loves you. God loves you, even though you've done terrible things. Those of you who are parents, your kids have done some bad stuff, right? It happens. I mean, it's reality. But you still love your kids, don't you? Even though you're disappointed in them, even though you're ashamed of them, even though you may be angered by what they did, you still love them. And God loves us. He loves us while we are still sinners. God doesn't require you to straighten your life up. You know, sometimes I study the gospel with someone, and they'll say, well, you know, you're, you're right, and, and I do. I intend to come to God, but I just got to get a few things straightened out first. No. You can't get stuff straightened out without God. You can't get it straightened out before you come to God. You come to God as a sinner, and He cleanses you from that sin. You see, Jesus Christ died for us while we're still sinners. You know, the Bible tells us that this it's amazing to angels, because you know what happened when angels sinned? Well, when the angels sinned, God bound them and, and put them in chains until the day of judgment. It's what happened when angels sinned. But when people sinned, you know what God did? He became a man, let the people torture and kill him for living a perfect life, and then took their sin and made them a part of his family. And the Bible says angels long to look into these things. We sing a song about that, right? Angels long to look into these things. It's just, why would God do that? You know, my kids love pets. They loved animals, and uh, I like animals. I'm not an animal lover, but I, you know, I'm not an animal hater. You know, I like animals. But my girls, they loved any kind of animal that ever was on the face of the earth. 
And any old scroungy dog that came around, oh, it's a puppy, oh, and, and they, and any old mangy dog could wander around across the back of our property with all of its diseases and, and snarling, and it would bite them if they could get to it, and they go, oh, it's so sweet. Why? Because that dog was really sweet? No, just because they love dogs. God looks down at you and He doesn't go, oh, they're just so cute though. I just, I know they did sin, but they're just so what? God loves you even knowing your filth, even knowing your ugliness, because the kind of God we serve is just a people-loving God. He just loves you. Even as His enemy, when you're fighting Him, when you're cursing Him, when you're doing things you know embarrass and humiliate and anger Him. And He still loves you. And He sent His Son to die in your place. And so sin then is covered by the death of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus gave. God loved. Jesus gave. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says Jesus was slain. Before the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? That means that before Genesis 1 and verse 1, Jesus and God had agreed that Jesus would come and die for your sin. From the very foundation, from the very beginning, they knew you would be here. They knew you would live. They knew you would sin. And God loved you so much, He said, Son, we got to save them, but the only way to save them would be for you to go and die in their place. And Jesus said, I will. And He did. He came. And the Bible tells us that happened because God loved the world and that Jesus gave His life for you and me. There are many passages in Scripture that talk about this. The Bible says that Christ, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree. The things you've done that were evil, that were wrong, that were sinful. Jesus Christ bore those in His own body. Have you ever told a lie? You should be doing this. If you're doing this, that's another lie. You've told a lie. You've said something that wasn't true. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Yeah, we have. I remember one time when I was about seven years old and we went to Gibson's. Any of you all remember Gibson's? And mom told me I could get a coloring book. But all the really good ones were too expensive. She could said I could get a coloring book if it didn't cost over a dime or whatever the price was. But the good ones were really expensive. But back then they would stick the price stickers on the things. You know, they had these little machines and they put price stickers on the items. And I figured out if I peeled the 10 cent price sticker off and put it on the better coloring book, I could get the better coloring book for 10 cents. 
And I did that, and I helped my sister do that, and I helped my brother do that, which was my mistake, because on the way home, my brother decided to share with mom this great idea that his older brother had had. And I got to go back and explain to the manager what I did and get the coloring book back and all this stuff. You've stolen something, haven't you? Right? Have you ever lusted? In your heart after someone? You ever had lust? Lustful thoughts? Yeah. Jesus said that if we lust in our heart after someone else, we've committed adultery with them already in our minds. So when you think about yourself and you think about whether you're a good person or not, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving adulterer. Is that a good person? It's not. But Jesus Christ took that sin for you. And so while He's hanging up on the cross, and while He's being beaten, while He's being spit on, it's because of the sin you committed and I committed that He didn't. He never lied. He never lusted. He never stole. But as they beat Him, they said, You liar! And it wasn't Him. It was you and me. And he knew that, and he never said a word. He never opened his mouth. He just took the punishment for your sin. You know why? Because God loves you. Jesus loves you. And he took your sin, and he bore it in his own body on the tree. And he died. And He paid for the sin that you and I have committed in our lives. And as Christians, we hang our hope on this. As Christians, we live in the belief that this is foundational to our eternal existence. You see, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, when they heard what I've just told you, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew they were guilty. Peter told him, he said, You by wicked hands have taken and slain the Son of God. And now God's raised him from the dead and he's on the right hand of the Father. And they said, Oh no. What do we do? Peter, what can we do? And you know the answer that Peter gave him. The answer was this, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, here's what you do. You want forgiveness for your sin? You repent. You turn away from sin. You don't keep living that way. You reject that way of life. You make it different. And you be baptized. You do those things... If you believe in Jesus and you're willing to repent and confess that belief and be baptized into Jesus Christ, then that gap is completely closed and you are once again united with God, being a part of His family, being with Him. Now, when you do that, when you as a Christian make that choice, you make that decision and you decide, I'm going to give my life to Him. 
And I know I mess up, but I am going to, every day the rest of my life, I'm going to think about Jesus and I'm going to live for Him. That's the way I'm going. And you're baptized. When that happens, the Bible says your sins are forgiven. In Colossians chapter 2, he calls it the operation of God, where God operates to remove your sin, your guilt, from what you have done. And there's a couple of things that the Bible teaches us happens at that point. Now, these, there, there are some big Bible words that we don't use a lot in everyday life. But we're going to talk about one of those things that happens when you become a Christian is justification. And that is when you are placed in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So when you're baptized into Christ, you are put into Jesus Christ. Now the beauty and value of that is He became sin for you so you could become the righteousness of God in Him. So when God looks at you as a Christian... He doesn't see all your sin and your wickedness. He doesn't see all the filth that's been in your life. When God looks at you as a Christian, He sees the spotless, perfect, blameless, sinless life that Jesus lived. And you receive credit for that because He has paid the price for the sin that you committed. That big word is justification, and it means that we have been made just in the eyes of God. So when God looks at you, instead of seeing you owe a debt of sin, He says, that debt was paid, you're just, you're justified, you're okay with me, you're right, you're one of my children, and you're welcome into heaven. But there's something else that happens. Because you see, not only are you placed into Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is placed in you. The Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now the big Bible word for that is sanctification. You're justified through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice when you're placed in Him. You're sanctified when He is placed in you. Now, sanctify means to be made holy. Sanctified means you're separate or set apart from everyone else. We talk about the church are those who have been called to Jesus Christ, those who have been called out of the world. We're separate. We're different. Not that we never commit things that are wrong. We do. But we're forgiven for that, and we live a different kind of life. This church should not just be a subcultural microcosm of what's outside these walls. This church should be different. In fact, I believe it is. I've been here enough that I believe y'all are different. Why are you different? Because Christ has been placed in you. And as you live your life, this you notice the arrow goes up because this is a process. Justification is an event. But this is a process. This process of sanctification that as you live your life, step by step, you become more and more and more like Jesus Christ when you face trials and troubles, when you face blessings, when you face challenges, when you get rewards, when you get opportunities. 
All of those things, you begin to see them from God's perspective. You begin to see them the way Jesus would see them. And you begin to think about them the way Jesus thinks about them. And you know what happens when you think like Jesus? You start acting like Jesus. And you start talking like Jesus. And you start living like Jesus. That's this process of sanctification. And the truth is, if you're a Christian tonight... We're all on this, that road right there. We're all on this process of sanctification. And there are times you may study really hard, and you may do really good, and you may grow really fast. And then there are other times when maybe you're not studying as much, and you're not praying as much, and you're not growing as much. Some people get off that road. Some people say, I'm done. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I hope that's not you. You know, the Bible compares Christian life to a race. And it's a long race. It's a race that starts the moment you become a Christian. And it ends when you die. That's the finish line. Now, my wife runs 5K races. Okay? I don't. Okay? What I do is I go hang out at the finish line. And I wait for her to get to the end of the race. And I go, yay, you did it. Good job. Right? And then I take her to get some ice cream or something. The Christian life is like a race. When she runs a race, one thing she doesn't try to avoid is the finish line. She runs toward the finish line just as hard and fast as she can because that's when the race is over. And she doesn't expect to get a medal before she crosses that finish line. She doesn't expect the work to be over until she's crossed the finish line. That's the way it is with Christianity. What's the finish line for us? What's death? That's the finish line. The day you take your last breath is the finish line. Why should we try to avoid that? We run toward that because the promise from God is after death. The promise from God is not here in this life. Now, I know He's rewarded us in America. He has blessed us in America so much. We are so comfortable. We sit on padded seats and we drive air-conditioned cars and we've got beautiful homes and we've, been, we've got good health care and we've got all, all kinds of things that, that God has blessed us with. But this isn't where the reward is. Everyone, this is the exception America right now is the exception in history. Most Christians have been persecuted, a lot of them to death. We talk about religious freedom. That's the exception, not the rule. And when we talk about the gospel to ourselves and to other people, to talk about it as though God has this wonderful plan for your life and everything's going to be great. I mean, what would you tell the people who were in the 9-11 towers the day before the crash? The day before 9-11 happened. And you're going to talk to them about the gospel. Would you say, hey, listen, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Tomorrow, planes are going to crash into here and you're going to burn to death. It's not a wonderful plan because the reward isn't here. Would Jesus still save those people? Yes. Did Jesus still love those people? Yes. But the reward is not here. The reward is after the reward is when we are ultimately united with Jesus Christ in eternity. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. So God loved you. 
He gave His Son for you. Jesus Christ died for you. The question is, will you repent and be baptized? Follow Jesus. There's a story in the Old Testament. You know this this gospel that I've told you about tonight. This good news of salvation that we don't have to die for our sin. This, it's pictured all through the Old Testament. There's story after story after story that gives a picture like when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac and you're familiar, or Noah going into the ark. All those are pictures of our salvation. One of my very favorites is the story of a boy called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. So there's King Saul, his son Jonathan, and his son was Mephibosheth. Now, you know the story of King Saul. When he started out, he was a good godly king, but power went to his head and he, he was rebellious against God and wouldn't do the things God told him to do. And God said, I'm taking your kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to David. And Saul hated David. I mean, despised David. He tried to kill him. One time he took a javelin and threw it at him and tried to impale him while he was there in the palace. David goes out and he tells Jonathan. David and Jonathan happen to be best friends. He tells, Dave, he tells Jonathan, he says, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan goes, not dad. No, no way. That ain't happening. He goes, yeah, he hates me. He, he wants to kill me. They were singing songs about Saul's killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands, and he's so jealous and enraged about this. Jonathan and David talk about this, and Jonathan said, listen, I'll go talk to Dad, and I'll, I'll find out what's going on. And David said, well, I'm hiding until you do. And Jonathan said, okay, you hide out here in the woods, and I'm going to come out and shoot my bow and arrow. And, and he was a prince, so he had boys that would go chase his arrows. And so he'd go out, and he said, and I'll go shoot an arrow, and if it's safe for you to come in, I'll say, no, the arrow's closer. Come, come. And you'll know you can come back in. But if I shoot the arrow and Dad does mean to kill you, I'll say, no, it's further. Go, go, go. And you'll know you need to run and you need to leave. And so Jonathan went and talked to his dad. And he found out, sure enough, dad does intend to kill David at the very next opportunity he has. And so he goes out and he shoots the arrow. And the boy goes out to get the arrow. And he says, go, go, it's further away. And so David knows the truth that Saul's going to kill him. But David waits and Jonathan sneaks around and meets David. And they talk. And the Bible says they made a covenant and the covenant it was a sacred agreement. And basically, Jonathan said to David, he said, listen, I know you're supposed to be the king. I'm not going to be king. Even though I'm the son of the king and the prince, I know I'm not going to be king. You are. And I just want you to know when that happens, I pledge my allegiance to you. I mean, you're going to be the king. I am going to support you. I'm going to back you. And so is all my family. You don't have to worry about us. Even though dad's trying to kill you, you don't have to worry about us. And David said, you know what? He said, I will show you and your family loving kindness. They were the best of friends. They loved each other. And he said, I will show loving kindness to you and to your children. And all of your household. Well, then David goes and runs and hides. And Saul hunts him and tries to kill him for the next several years. Eventually, David gets word that King Saul was killed. Only the same day that Saul was killed, Jonathan was killed too in the same battle. 
They both died. And so David says, well, they're gone. Now I'm to go and become king. And so David takes off to go become king. Well, you know what most of the time happened when a new king came in? You know what he did to the family of the guys that were there before? Kill them. And they did that so that the, pers- the child, the son, wouldn't rise up later and challenge him for the throne. And so all the people in the palace, they think David's on his way. They hear he's coming. Saul and Jonathan are dead. we got to get out of here. And so they take off to run. And Mephibosheth is just a little boy at this time, just a little fella. And a nurse grabs him up, and they go running out of the palace, running down the steps. And she trips and falls and lands on the little boy and breaks his back, and he's crippled. And she just scoops the screaming child up in her arms and runs. And they go out to the wilderness, to the desert, a place called Lodabar, and they live in a shack. And they're hiding because they have to hide because they believe if David ever finds them, he's going to kill them. And so they're in hiding. And David comes in. Everyone's gone. And David says, hey, where's the household of Jonathan? And everybody goes, uh, we don't know. And he said, no, I just want to show them loving kindness. And they're going, yeah, we don't know where he's at. And no one will tell him. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you're Mephibosheth. And you're raised in this shack in the wilderness. And you're told your whole life, you ought to be the king. But that man David, he took your throne. In fact... He would have killed you if we didn't get you out of here. You're crippled because he was coming to kill you and we saved you. You've got to hide from him. He will kill you if he ever catches you. So you hide. Probably hating David every second of your life. And you hide. Finally, someone says, well, I'll tell you where they are. They're out in the wilderness of Lodabar. David says, go get them. And off go the royal guard. The soldiers go. Imagine once again, you're Mephibosheth. You've been hiding all this time. You get up in the morning. You're there in this shack in the wilderness of Lodabar. Maybe reading your Jerusalem Times newspaper and drinking your orange juice. And all of a sudden, you hear noise of horses outside. And you get over to the window on your crutches and you look out. It's the royal guard. They got you. You can't fight. You're crippled. There's nothing you can do. You just give up. They take you. They put you on a horse and they take you to the palace. And you come to the palace and you come into that throne room. And there sits your enemy. There sits David. There sits the one who will kill you. Up on his throne. What would you do? You know what Mephibosheth did? He just threw his crutches out and landed flat on his face. And he said, I'm a dead dog. He used those exact words. I'm a dead dog. And he laid there expecting the sword from David's hand to go whack. And instead, he heard the feet of David run to him. And he knelt by him and he said, Mephibosheth, is it you? And he tried to lift him up. And he embraced him and he said, Oh, Mephibosheth, I've looked for you. I've looked for you so long. I've got all of your daddy's house. I've got all of his lands. I've kept it all for you. Set a place at the table. We found Prince Mephibosheth. 
He's going to be with us tonight. You will be with us tonight, won't you? You'll stay here. You'll move into the palace, won't you? I'm so glad we found you. What are you talking about? Are you going to trust this guy? Why would he do this? And Mephibosheth goes, why? Why would you do this for me? And his answer was this. Fear not, for I will surely show you loving kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. He said, Mephibosheth, this isn't about you. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this because I had a covenant with your daddy. And your daddy and I were best friends. And I promised your daddy, because of our relationship, that I would show you loving kindness. Now, I have no doubt you're probably way ahead of me here. You are Mephibosheth. You hid from God. You were rebellious in your heart against God. I know you were because I was and all mankind is. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've done things you knew were shameful and defiant against God. And you didn't want to stand in front of Him. But the day came and you were drugged into His presence. You became aware of your guilt and you became aware of His wrath against sin. And you understood what He will do to sinners. And you knew what to expect. You knew to expect death. But then you heard the gospel. You heard the good news that He doesn't want to kill you. He wants to make you part of His family. And you go, why? Why? And He says, it's not you. Your older brother Jesus, I have a covenant with Him. That if you will repent and be baptized and follow Him, be like Him. I will forgive all of your sin. And I will welcome you to my table. You can dine with me. You can live in my house. You can be a part of my family and my kingdom. At that point in the life of Mephibosheth, he had a choice. He could grab up his crutches and go, no way. And go back out and live in his shack in the wilderness of Lodabar in rebellion against David. Or, he could humble himself, he could accept that gift, and he could submit to David as king and live in the kingdom. You today have the same choice. If you're not right with God, you can continue to rebel you can say, I'm not doing that. I don't care what that preacher said. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm doing it my way and I'm not going to do what that says. Or you can humble yourself and you can say, you know what? I'm tired of living in rebellion against God. I want to repent. I want to walk His way. I want to move into the kingdom and I'm going to submit to Him as my king. And I'm going to do whatever He tells me to do. And I'm going to be a part of God's family because of the wonderful blessing that God made a covenant with Jesus to forgive our sin. I hope very much that you will make that choice tonight. That your willingness is to realize God loved you and gave His Son. Jesus died 
And you must repent. When this message was preached in Acts 2, it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They that gladly received His word were baptized. Do you need to be right with God? Would you gladly receive His Word? If you're not right with Him, you can be tonight. If you want to become a Christian, you can come to the front while we stand and sing.